You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right. Uh, Good morning. Uh, It's good to see those of you that stayed in town this weekend, right? This is always a big exodus on campus. Uh, There were a lot of people here for football yesterday, a lot of... uh, uh, fans from Toledo. I saw a lot of Toledo shirts. Well, uh, I'm Nick, I'm pastor here in Alignia Life, and you will hear me say this if you've ever been around, and, and I'm, not, I'm never tired of saying it. Now is the time in our week that I love. This is the chance for us to dig into the Word of God and do a Bible study together. We're going to see what the Lord has for us from His Word this morning, and I love this part of our week. I look forward to it all week. I hope you had a chance to dig in with your small group to do your pre-lab, study this passage up. If you haven't, that's okay. We're going to walk through it this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, continuing to check out churches around campus, faith groups. I pray you would p- pick a group and dive in. Find a community to follow Jesus with during your college career. It is important, it's imperative always when we have the option to be around believers, to continue to build our faith and grow our faith, to see more of Jesus and become more like him. Here in Alliance Life, we are all about living our lives with, like, and for Jesus. You'll hear that from us often. We'd hope that you find a, a church home here on campus during your college years. We'd love for that to be us if we can serve you in that way. Well, I don't know if, if it was just background noise, if you even paid attention, if you heard it. That song that was playing during the connection card and, uh, was Jesus Land by Ben Folds. And I, I realized that I'm fully dating myself by picking that song. Probably most of you in this room have no idea what, who he is or that artist is or what that song is. But the lyrics, they fascinated me for, for a long time. I first heard the song longer ago than I want to admit. It's a critique on Christian subculture. And Ben Folds tells us in an interview that he wrote the song asking himself if Jesus, what Jesus would think if he came to specifically middle America where Ben Folds experienced people using Jesus' name to sell stuff, is what he says. Using Jesus' name to sell a bunch of stuff. He's taking a, a, a stab or a critique. He's taking a jab, sorry, at Christian subculture, commercialism of Christianity, using Jesus to make a profit. He says, if, if the real Jesus showed up, would he even recognize these people as his followers, right? That's some harsh words coming from a non-Christian artist critiquing Christians. I felt that when I first heard him say that. In a lot of ways, I wonder if, if Ben Fold's critique, if he wonders the same questions Jesus might be wondering, if he sees a true Jesus, a truer Jesus than maybe Christian subculture sometimes does. I think, in my opinion, the song is worth considering. How we represent Jesus matters, right? This song, it's all about people and religion that completely miss miss the real Jesus, right? It isn't a a new problem for us, right? Like, since Jesus stepped into earth, since God in human flesh walked the earth, he's been misunderstood, he's been misrepresented, and, and ultimately he was crucified for it, wasn't he? Missing Jesus, misrepresenting Jesus. It's sort of typical of our faith. We don't always get Jesus. This morning, I want us to look at a passage in the life of Jesus where a group of people, they got it all wrong. They missed him completely, just like this song was suggesting, just like we sometimes do. Today, we're continuing a five-part series in the Gospel of John, focusing on who is Jesus and what does he want with me? Who is Jesus and what does he want with me? John tells us in the Gospel of John, he tells us in the end, end of, near the end of it, chapter 20, his reason for writing his gospel, right? And we're reminding you this each week as we've been going into this. 
He tells us that he wrote the gospel so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's our hope. That's our hope in these weeks as we're studying through these passages, that each of us would grow in our understanding and our knowledge and our belief of Jesus, of seeing him more clearly, following him, becoming more with, like, and for him. And the reason we're choosing to start here the school year. The reason we start with Jesus pretty much every school year is because the question of who is Jesus and what are you going to do with that is the most important question you will answer in your life. There is no question more important. What major, who you marry, how you raise your kids, nothing is more important than who is Jesus and what are you going to do about that. And so we want you to wrestle with that. What we believe about Jesus, who he is, is the most important question you'll ever answer. So dig in, engage, look at Jesus' life, works, and words, and decide what you believe about Jesus. That's what we're doing each week uh, in the middle of our series here, week three. So unfortunately, we as believers, Ben Folds was pointing this out, we sometimes make that question harder for people to answer, right? We can send mixed messages. Our world is filled with mixed messages, right? And don't do this now, or if you do, just don't let me see you because it'd be discouraging. You could pull up Facebook at any moment, right, or, or in, you know, any social media, and I'm sure you'd see mixed messages, right? It's just ripe for this, right? On, on, on one side, we have Jesus clearly supports this political candidate, right? And on this side, he clearly supports this other political candidate, and they don't agree on each other, right, on anything. So, so who's right, right? Or, or Jesus clearly is behind this social issue. And, and if you were a follower of Jesus, you'd be behind this social issue. But, but he clearly means this about this. So it's got to be this other thing too, right? And so people are split on what Jesus really thinks and supports and believes, right? It's, it's almost as if Jesus has a split personality and, and he's both a Democrat and a Republican, social, social activist and, and, <laughs> and not, right? He's both American and anti-American. Pick your, pick your issue, we can put Jesus, the label of Jesus, on a lot of different things and send mixed messages to people, right? Or, or you could do this. I've, I've done this before. Uh, I'm sure my life is guilty of it as well. You can pull up your Instagram feed and, and see your friends posting their pictures from Bible study, right, on, on a Thursday night. And then hours later, see pictures of activity that maybe questions whether these are Christianly activities, right? It just happens. We, we live lives that confuse people because we're sinners, broken, and confused ourselves, we send mixed messages with our lives and with the lives of those around us. And that can make it hard to see the true Jesus. It's hard to cut through the noise, right? Hard to cut through what's truly Jesus and what's our own motivations, our own political ambitions or social issues. So to cut through that, we go to the source. We go to Jesus. We go to Jesus' words, his life, recorded in the Gospel of John. We look to Jesus, the source, rather than his followers, to figure out who is Jesus, right? Riley shared, I, I engaged with Christians to see if they're crazy, right? <laughs> uh, we, uh, she, she could also engage with Jesus, right, <laughs> to, to learn more. And she did, and she came to know Jesus, right? Um, so we go to the source. We look to Jesus, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the Gospel of John. We're going to look at Jesus engaging in a, in a dialogue with, with people as we've done the past couple of weeks. That's how we determine who Jesus is and what he wants from us. We look to Jesus, his words, his teachings. As we look at our passage, we're going to see who is Jesus and what do we do with that information. That's what we're going to conclude this morning as we engage. So uh, our passage is John 6, 
verses 22 through 40. Uh, in general, I teach from the ESV. We'll put the verses up here and walk through them together. Uh, and so you can follow along that way, or you can turn, navigate to it in your Bible, digital or paper or otherwise. So the Gospel of John chapter 6. Let me set the scene real quick because we don't just jump in. There's, there's context here. Let me give you a little bit of the context of what's going on here. Comes, comes to play in our passage. Now the day before what we're going to read, the day before Jesus has attracted a large crowd. They're hearing word of his, of his teaching, of his healing, his power. And so John tells us that a crowd of about 5,000 people at this point are following Jesus. And they're out away on the country, hillside out in the country, and the day is getting long. It's getting close to the end of the day. And so the disciples, they come to Jesus and they point this out. They say, uh, Jesus, this is a long walk back. And these people don't have food. Why don't you send them back to go get a meal, right? And Jesus, he baffles them. He says, you feed them. You give them food. And, and they start scratching their head just like I would, right? And, and they're, well, we don't have that kind of money. And there's not enough food around. How would we even do that? That, that would cost way more than we have, right? So Jesus continues to baffle them. He takes five barley loaves and two fish that are present. He gives thanks, and they're multiplied over and over again, and he feeds all 5,000 people till they have their fill. And the disciples, they clean up 12 baskets full of remnants. This sign, it stirs up the crowd. Something has happened here. It's gotten their attention. And Jesus, he knows. He knows they're amazed, and they, he knows that they intend to, to make him king by force, for other reasons, he sneaks off to be alone. He goes up the hillside. Night approaches, and the disciples, they get in their boat, and they cross the Sea of Galilee. And a, a strong wind starts blowing, and it gets a little terrifying. And then Jesus comes to them walking on the water in the night. And they all gather up and end up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's what's happened just before our passage, and that's where we're going to jump in. Two miraculous encounters with Jesus. One with 5,000, one with just the 12. So that's where we pick up. Picking up in, in, in verse 22, we're going to see uh, the first verses. They're going to tell us how this crowd responds when they can't find Jesus in the morning, right? So, so if, if you want to read along with me, I'll, I'll read here. The verses should be up on the screen for you. On the next day, after all those things had happened, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So the crowd that remained there, they thought Jesus was there. And they wake up in the morning and he's not, right? They realize he's gone and so are his disciples. Let's go find him. So they, they head across, across the sea. You get in the boats, they're going to go find him. The experience they had the day before has them wanting to stay with Jesus, drawn to him. They're sat, he, satisfied, he satisfied their hunger. He met their need. And they liked that. They like this guy. They want to be with him. So they go to find him. Let's go get, let's go get another meal. Let's go find this guy. When they, find, when they find Jesus, they question how he got there, right? Which is a very natural question, right? They didn't see him get in a boat, but yet he's there across the sea. It took them a boat. Why wouldn't it take him? They, uh, they're not seeking him because of the prophetic sign. No, they're not seeking him because he, he multiplied the bread and the fish. They're seeking him to get another meal. They're interested in more of what happened yesterday for them. 
And that's what Jesus steps into with them. So uh, let's pick back up in, in verse 25. We'll read a few verses here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal or his approval or given his authority. He's, he's guaranteed. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, right? Seek the food that endures to eternal life, which he will give you. Don't just come for another meal. Come for what really gives you life. Don't come for more bread and fish. Those are temporary, passing, fleeting, material things. Come to me for things that matter eternally. That's why I'm here. For all of us that have a relationship with Jesus, right? Something brought us to Jesus. A need we had brought us to Jesus, encountered it. Uh, and maybe, maybe for some of us, it was just doing the church thing. That's what we always did. We check our box. We went, to, went on Sunday. That's what mom and dad brought me to, or that's what I think I need to do all the time. Others, uh, you know, maybe it was we found Christian groups because we want to tell mom that we did that when we got here on campus, right? Like, give a good report. Hey, mom, I'm doing the Christian thing. Yeah, I'm trying to find a Christian group. I went to church this morning. She calls you on Sunday afternoon. Some of us, and this was me, felt a deep need for community, for belonging, for being part of something. We have a need, a need that brought us to Jesus. Whatever it is, there is a need for those of you that have followed Jesus. You can think back, what was that need? What drew you to Jesus initially? And when Jesus sees us in that need, he meets it, but he invites us further. Right? When Jesus sees us, when we see Jesus just as a way to check a box, we did our religion thing for the week, we're good for, till next week, right? He meets us there, but he calls us to a deeper relationship. He calls us to something further. He calls us to eternity, and he checks that box for us forever. When we see Jesus as just a way to give a good report to mom that we did the church thing this week, right? He invites us to a deep relationship that makes it clear that we know Jesus and no one has to wonder or guess about it. We can see it as marked all over our lives. We see Jesus as a way for community and belonging, for meeting those needs. Jesus invites us into relationship. He invites us to be known by him and have that need met for eternity. Whatever it is, we need to see our need. Our need brings us to Jesus. And when we see our need, we, we go to Jesus. And he graciously meets us there, no matter how silly we might think that need is. He sees us. He meets us there. And he asks us to go further. To see him more completely, to follow him, to understand more of what he has to offer than just meeting that need. See, when the crowd, they heard uh, they hear Jesus call, him, call them to something deeper, right? They're, they're confused. They're, they're wondering. They're, they, they have their material needs met, right? You filled our bellies. Can we get more of that? That's their need. What, and they ask, what works do we have to do to get that hunger met all the time, right? What do we got to do to always get that? Their question. And that's where they ask, right? The next couple of verses reveal that. They say, uh, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Right? Believe is the response. It's not a work. Believe, that's the response Jesus calls them to. 
When we wonder, what are the works I need to be doing to have that need met all the time, Jesus? What do I need to know to have that community need filled all the time? He says, believe. It's not a work. Believe, Nick. Believe. It's not a work. It's faith. It's faith in Jesus. Believing in him is the one sent by God. It's the key. That's the key to having our, our deep needs, our hunger satisfied, to seeing Jesus more fully, to seeing him more than just somebody who meets the material. Belief is the key to seeing Jesus. And so when we see our need, Jesus graciously meets us in that place and he asks us to go further, to believe, to see him as more than just the one that healed us, that, that forgave us, that taught us, made us feel welcomed. He invites us to put our faith in him as the one sent by God. Now, when the, when the crowd hears this, they're not sure what to do with it, right? They're not sure. They say, uh, why don't you give us another sign? Why don't you prove this? Why don't you tell us why we should believe you? Show us something else. They point back to Moses leading the Israelites throughout the through the wilderness and the people eating manna, right? Uh, that was a sign that gave the people a reason to believe, right? There was provision. There was something we could hold on to. Give us something like that, they say. And Jesus goes on to explain the origin of manna, and he claims to be the true bread from heaven bringing forth life. So let's read, and, and then we got some, some history lessons to unpack a little bit here, so... Uh, picking up in, in verse 30. So they say to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, so, so let's pause. What's going on here, right? Did, did you do your Old Testament history lessons before this? What's going on? Manna? What, what is manna? Why are they demanding signs, right? Didn't Jesus just feed 5,000 people? Wasn't that a good enough sign, right? He walked on water for 12 of them saw that. Like, wasn't that a good enough sign, Right? What more would it take to prove? What more would it take for them to believe, right? That's a, I think that's an important question to ask because there's something going on here. They have a history they're drawing from. They have expectations they're drawing from. So let me fill you in a little bit. If you remember your Old Testament history, as Moses and the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they were doing it for quite a while and they grumbled as they often did. And they grumbled about not having any food. God, in his gracious, loving kindness, heard their grumbling, and daily provided manna, bread from heaven, for them to live off of. Manna sustained life in a time of need for Israel. It's a reminder of God's provision. Why are these people demanding more signs? Well, there's a belief held by the Jews at that time that, that there would be a second Moses that would come and, and lead them to a second exodus. That's why Matthew spends all this time talking about Jesus in this way. It's an important sign for the people. God's people would be an independent people again. God's kingdom would reign again. And they saw it in a very certain way. The second Moses would do similar signs to the first. He'd, he'd bring manna from heaven, right? That's why the feeding of the 5,000 is a crucial miracle, right? Jesus feeding, bringing bread from heaven. It identifies Jesus as a second Moses, a leader of God's people, only he's a leader in a different way different than what they expect. See, the crowds, they got it wrong. They had mixed messages about what to expect the second Moses to be like and what he would do. 
They had mixed messages about what providing, what the original manna was and provided. They claim it was from Moses. Jesus reminds them it was from God. Right? They even had mixed messages about that. Right? Even mixed messages about what manna meant, what they were supposed to get from that, right? And if we look back to just real briefly Deuteronomy and, and uh, where it talks about this, right? Deuteronomy 8.3 reminds us, uh, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with, with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Manna was a lesson for the people that God would provide for them more than in just material ways, more than just to meet their hunger. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is the true bread from God, the incarnate word of God bringing forth life to the world. His teachings bring life. His words sustain life just as manna did. It's true bread from heaven. True manna is bread that comes down from heaven from God, right? Jesus is true manna. The previous version of manna, it was, it was a crude a crude approximation of what would come, right? It, was, it, it, it had a purpose, but it would perish. It would pass away. It was a foreshadowing of what would come in Jesus, and he's picking up on that and, and driving it home to them. It served as a, as a type of true bread from heaven, or the real bread that would come down in the form of a person, Jesus, and bring true life. Explain God's intention, his word, and save us. You see, when, when we see our need and we bring it to Jesus, he graciously meets us in that need, right? And he asks us to go further. He asks us to believe in him. He invites us to put our faith in him as the one sent from God. And he invites us to come to him with those, have that, that need met eternally, to be the, the true manna from heaven, to receive that into our lives, to be sustained. True bread from heaven, it, it's bread that gives life. And that sounds like something the crowd wants, Right? So just like we saw with the woman at the well last week, the crowd wants this. They ask Jesus to give them this always. He goes on, even, and Jesus goes on to be even more blunt, to drive it home. You're not getting it. Let me make it more clear to you. He tells them he is the bread that brings life, that belief in him brings eternal life. So let's, let's read the final part of our passage here as, as we see that. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never cast, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? Are you getting it now? There, I am the bread of life. And there it is, right? The metaphorical statement Jesus makes about himself, often misunderstood throughout history and debated. He is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's the bringer of life. He's the giver of eternal life, our provider, our sustainer. 
Jesus invites us to come to him, to receive spiritual bread and have our hunger satisfied. Always. To believe in him and have our thirst quenched for good. After all, right, he's not just the bread of life. He offers living water, as we saw last week. Water that quenches our earthly thirst for good. He references that again here. Jesus is the bread of life. He's not some bread that needs to be sent anew each day because it perishes, it molds, it gets bad. He's the bread that has been given for true life and awaits all those who come to him. Belief is our response. Belief is how we get that true bread. Belief in Jesus unlocks true life, brings forth eternal life in us. Here in our passage, Jesus has done precisely what he does throughout the gospel. We've been unpacking these past a couple weeks, right? We saw it with Nicodemus in chapter 3, two weeks ago. We saw it with the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4 last week. He takes some feature from Jewish history and he, he explains it anew to them, right? That you got it wrong. Let me, let me help you understand. I'm doing, God's doing this again in me. Right? He's reinterpreting or re-explaining history to its true meaning, showing that this was ultimately pointing to him. It was ultimately preparing you to see me as the promised one, is what Jesus is saying. He is the manna from God for which Israel has been waiting. The original manna was a pointer to him. And so when we see Jesus, we bring our needs to him, he graciously meets us there and asks us to go further to believe in him. He invites us to put our faith in him as the one sent from God. He invites us to come to him and, and have manna, true bread from God. And believe in the Son of God. And he gives us eternal life in response. We have life in Jesus eternally when we put our faith, our trust, our belief in him. We started this talking about mixed messages, right? Ben Fold's critique of Christianity. Uh, I think there's no mixed message here. I think Jesus drives the point home clear. There's one clear message. He says this, right? In your need, in your sin and suffering, God is drawing you to Christ, the bread of life, the one who will satisfy your hunger forever. Right? The, the clear message Jesus is making is that in your need, God will meet you and be the bread of life that satisfies it. And you won't have to hunger anymore. You'll have eternal life in him. See, the crowd, they were hungry, and they met Jesus. He, gave, he met their need. He gave their, them bread. He filled their bellies, and they were satisfied for, for a moment. And they come looking for him again, expecting the same, and, and Jesus invites them deeper. He says, believe. Receive life instead of, instead of this passing fleeting meal that you'll have to come back again and again for. Believe and be sustained for, for the long haul. See, our needs, they draw us to, to Jesus, right? They draw us to God. In our, in our deepest place of need, God is reaching out to you. He's calling you to him, whatever that is in your life. That's the place to press in. That's the place to find Jesus, to see him. Bring your need to God. Let him invite you deeper. Let him see you in that place. And let him meet you there. This is why it's, it's so common, right, for uh, us to pray when we're having hard times, right? Because we have a need and we bring it to God. And he wants to hear that need. Right? Hardship draws us to God. Our needs draw us to God. Jesus primarily, he's interested, we saw this last week, right, in the spiritually hungry, the, the existentially thirsty, right? The, 
the, the, the, the 5,000 that need something, the, the outcast woman at the well from Samaria, right? Those that are, they feel trapped, they feel paralyzed, they feel baffled by their circumstances, right? He, he's interested in uh, those that, that quit their job and uh, create a startup only to go bankrupt and find themselves back at home with mom and dad wondering, what do I do now, right? Jesus wants to meet you there. Those that, that have shame in their past that they feel controlled by, right? Just like the woman at the well. Jesus wants to meet you there if that's you. Those of us that, that scratch our heads and think, man, I thought my major was going to be different than this, right? Or I thought my marriage would go different or, or having kids would be different or, or whatever it is, my career. When we find our place in that place of, of questioning, of desperation, Jesus wants to meet us there and draw us deeper. Jesus is interested in those folks, not, not the ones that, that have it all together and, and, and make everybody else believe they do, right? Not, not the perfect selfie-curated social media feed, right? Let yourself be a mess before Jesus. That's where he wants to meet you. He's interested in people who know their deep need. They're the ones. They're the ones that, that can come to Jesus, and he can begin his work of feeding you for eternity. So what is your deep need? Where is Jesus calling you? How is he getting your attention and inviting you to a deep relationship with him? The Christian life, it's not about fuzzy feelings and, and religious check, check boxes, right? It's about being in a place where Jesus meets our needs, where we see him as our sustainer and our provider. And Jesus makes that clear as he drives it home at the end of this passage, right? We as the hearers, not just the 5,000, we today, as we read the Gospel of John, as we hear it, we're hungry and we're thirsty in so many ways. We're desperate for some crumb, some morsel, something from Jesus to meet that need. And he says, I am living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. He says that the, he is the bread of life, but he doesn't just stop there, right? The bread came down from heaven and it laid its life down for us. The sacrificial death of Jesus is the key to life for us. We live through Jesus' death and resurrection. If you're here this morning and you are hungry for Jesus in any way, accept the invitation to receive true bread from heaven, bread that satisfies your hunger, bread that brings life, whatever that need is. So we started wondering, who is Jesus? Well, he says he's the bread of life. He's the true bread that came down from heaven to bring eternal life to us. And what does he want from you? He simply wants you to believe. I invite you to this morning. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and we're going to do a song of response. And then we're going to engage in a practice that drives this home. Practice of communion, the sacrament of communion. So would you pray with me and band, why don't you come on up?